right, we are going to introduce today the book or the letter to the Colossians. The letter to the Colossians, the book of Colossians as, as we are known. And of course, today we're going to do our introduction so that we can know what we're reading when we read this letter by the Apostle Paul uh, written to this church. So we're going to follow our, our paper today and kind of look at the who, what, when, where, and why of the book of Colossians. And overall, the content of the letter is an encouraging letter to these Gentile believers, many of them new believers, to continue in their faith and continue in the truth of Jesus Christ as they have received. And it's also a warning against outside religious influences. You know, for many new believers, especially those, you know, in this area of the world and in this time, they are coming out of a very pagan culture, uh, especially the area, and we'll look for a moment, you know, the, the area here of, you know, of Colossae and uh, surrounding had a lot of rich history. A lot of your uh, Greek mythology came out of this area, you know, stories about King Midas and things come out of this, this area. So it's kind of steeped in a lot of uh, mythical tradition as well, and a lot of the pagan worship that goes on in these cities, and we saw that in in Corinthians and in Corinth. And so when, when these new believers are coming in, they are hearing about Christ. Now, many of us, especially if, if you were like me and I grew up in church, and you know, most of everything that I heard was from the Bible. You know, grew up in Sunday school, learning Bible stories, growing up in children's church, learning Bible stories, hearing about Jesus. And you have to understand that these people here in Colossae and Ephesus and Thessalonica and these other areas, they have grew up never, you probably never hearing about the Bible uh, or never hearing about the Jewish scriptures or the stories of Moses or any of that. They were totally uh, oblivious to a lot of that and their influence was mostly uh, secular pagan influences. And now they, have, they are hearing the truth about Christ. Uh, but as new believers are even today, and as new believers were then, many are uh, easily influenced. We saw this in the book of Galatians, how there were outside Judaizers coming in trying to sway the believers away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so these new believers were probably easily influenced. And what had happened here is Paul is trying to ground them in that and here's kind of the overall theme that I see of the book of Colossians. Christ is enough. So if you don't get anything else out of this letter, I want you to get this phrase, Christ is enough. Because people will come in and try to add upon Christ or say, well, that's good, but here's, here's something else that makes Christ, or maybe even make Christ better. Maybe to give you more so you can have a more spiritual walk. Or, the, or, that, or that you can know things that other people don't know. And we're, we kind of have influence that can maybe try to enhance Christ, but ultimately lead people away from Christ. So the two things that Paul is trying to do here in this letter is to first of all ground the church in the power of Jesus Christ and who he is. 
and that he is sufficient for all of life. And secondly, to warn against these influences that would try to come in, that would try to lead them astray away from the true teaching of Christ. Of course, the author here of the letter to Colossians is the Apostle Paul, uh, very similar to Ephesians. He's joined by uh, Timothy here. Uh, the date, probably around 60 to, to 61. Um, probably Ephesians, and you know, we put Ephesians maybe around 61 or 62. So between 60 and 62, both of these letters, Colossians and Ephesians, were written. And you can really see that. You know, they, they both mentioned Timothy in the beginning. They, in the ending, they are both sent uh, by Timothy. Titicus, they're both sent to the churches by uh, the same people. Um, in fact, reading Colossians is a lot like reading Ephesians. If you read Ephesians and Colossians back to back, when you get to Colossians, you'll say, haven't I just read this? You know, haven't I just, some, some of these very same words for the themes are very, very similar. Uh, major themes in both the books is about redemption and forgiveness and being in Christ and how Christ holds uh, everything together. In both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul speaks about how he has heard of their faith and he's thanking God for them and talks about the mystery uh, and the glorious riches that they have in Jesus Christ. Both emphasizing how God had made these former Gentiles alive uh, unto God, how they were formerly uh, dead in their sins, but now they're alive, and how Christ abolished the law to bring them into the body of Christ. In both Colossians and Ephesians, Paul deals with the fact uh, of his own suffering. Paul deals here with the, the commission that he has and his part in the gospel. He spends a lot of time, Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesians and Colossians talking about the life that they should live how they should live new life in Christ, that they should be humble and lead a life worthy of their calling, how they should put off the old nature and put on the new nature, how they should be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in, in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Both of those are mentioned in, in or that's mentioned in both books. Uh, he spends time in both Ephesians and Colossians talking about Christian households, how husbands are to relate to wives and children and fathers and uh, so he spends a lot of time on that in both of these uh, letters. And uh, Tychius, again, he's, he's sending uh, both of these letters by them. So there is a lot of similarity. So that's why if you read Ephesians and then Colossians back to back, you're like, I have you know, heard this somewhere before. So they're probably written around the same time. They're both prison epistles. Uh, so they could have easily been written together and then sent off together. Again, the recipients of the letter are the believers, mostly Gentile believers, in the town of Colossae. Uh, the letter is also to be read in Laodicea. And there was a, redder, a letter written to Laodicea that in turn was supposed to be read here to uh, the church at Colossae. So let's talk for a moment about, uh, since we talk about the uh, recipients, let's talk about the city. Let me get our trusty map up here again as we look on our map again down here in the far left hand corner uh, kind of off the screen that is where uh, Israel is and you kind of come up there uh, around Damascus and Antioch uh, you take a hard left and you've entered the area of G 
Galatia or Asia Minor or what we would call today uh, Turkey. Uh, if you see some of the letters we've already done, we've done Ephesus. It was the, the seaport town. You see Ephesus there. Across the sea, you see Corinth. Uh, and we went through the you know, letters of Corinth. Uh, up kind of almost off the screen in the top left hand uh, is Philippi was way up there. Thessalonica is there as well. But right there, right in the middle, uh, right uh, to the east of Ephesus, are three small towns. Uh, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And of these three towns, Colossae was probably the, the smallest town uh, the least known. In fact, you probably wouldn't even know the name Colossae if it wasn't for, you know, this letter here. Um, Colossae is buried under ruins today, uh, has not been uh, excavated, uh, so there's a lot laying underneath the earth uh, there today. Uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis uh, also were, they were all kind of together. It was a major trade route, uh, so a lot of people came through there. Uh, and it was known for its medicinal purposes and the medicinal spots that they have there. So the city uh, you have here on your paper was the least significant uh, of the three towns noted for uh, the medicinal spas. But it was at a crucial crossroads of the Lycus River Valley, again, a little bit south uh, of Ephesus. Therefore, the cities existed for two reasons, for commerce and health resorts. So a little bit about the city now for the church that is there. What do we know about the church that we find in uh, Colossae, or the Colossians as, we, as it's known. Well, first of all, we know that the Apostle Paul uh, was not the founder of the church of uh, Colossae. Uh, he was not the founder there. Uh, he had not been there. He knew of people uh, from there, but most of the people in the church, the Apostle Paul had not met. The church was founded by an associate of the Apostle Paul, Name Epaphras. Uh, we see that in chapters uh, 1, verse 7, and then in chapter 4, 12, and 13. Epaphras now uh, is with Paul. Uh, he is not in Colossae, but he is with Paul uh, and others. The church was made up of mostly Gentiles who were influenced by a vain philosophy. And the philosophy was composed of a form of Gnosticism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. So we find here that that's a lot of isms, I know. We'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. We'll talk about them. won't quiz you before we talk about them. But. So, you know, the church, mostly Gentiles, Paul, and what, what happened is Paul had heard of good reports from them. Uh, they were a faithful church. He had heard of their, their faith, but also wanted to warn them of this religious influence that has now come into the church. So the reason that Paul wrote this, or the occasion that prompted Paul to write this, is Epaphras. Uh, the Pauline co-worker who founded the churches here had come to Paul and visited Paul in prison and was bringing the news of the church to Paul, mostly good news. Uh, some news was less so, but it was mostly good. So Paul writes, you know, I've heard of your, your faith and heard of you know, who you are, but also here's some things that you need to guard against. So that's what prompted Paul. And again, he sends with Titus, he sends this letter along with uh, the letter to uh, the church of Ephesus back to them. But the emphasis and themes, again, a small book, only four chapters as we see here. But again, another power-packed uh, letter that we find here. Uh, with Philippians last week, when we looked at Philippians, uh, you know, we looked at some of the major passages that just like revealed the, 
uh, you know, the aspects of God that are all inspiring and, you know, how Paul used in, in Philippians, you know, he used the phrase, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus and gives an amazing account of how Jesus uh, humbled and was even humiliated by the death on the cross uh, and a powerful, you know, really poem that was written there. We find the same thing here in Colossians. We find that as well in a couple of places. But the emphases and themes that we have here are several. Uh, first of all, the absolute supremacy and all-sufficiency of Christ. Again, our overall theme to this book is Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And I cannot stress that enough, that Christ is enough. I remember even in my own life as a pastor, I remember years ago sitting down and, and thinking, you know, what, what kind of new thing can I discover, you know, that, that will really, you know, catch people on fire. And everybody's just kind of looking for this, this new thing. But God eventually, and God brought me back to the one and only thing that matters, and that is Christ himself. And that if anything, maybe even like the church here at Colossae, maybe we've even been removed away from the, found, the true foundation, dug deep that is laid from Jesus Christ and him. And our churches are oftentimes built on so many other things. We end up building our kingdoms many times. We're often being swayed away by, you know, new teachings or popular teachings or popular worldviews or what, what the culture is saying. And sometimes we can, we can slowly drift. And that's one thing about life is that not many people make hard left or right turns. Many people just start drifting. And you start drifting just a little bit. And, and you, everything looks like you're going in the right way, and then you look down the road, and you're way far away from where you were. What Paul is emphasizing here is the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, and that our hope, our faith, our everything rests upon Him. So the major emphasis and theme, the overall absolute supremacy and all-sufficiency of Christ. Christ is enough. Um, and he shows his supremacy and he shows his all-sufficiency by reconciling the world, by forgiving sins, by, re by removing the, the, the powers that form against us in this world, he, by the religious rules and regulations showing us that they now count for nothing. But a life lived out in newness of life by the Spirit, bearing God's own image is what counts. So Christ-like living affects relationships of all kinds. So here we have five, uh, five major emphasis on the screen. Christ, uh, Jesus Christ is preeminent over all creation, that without Christ there is no creation, uh, that Christ secured redemption and reconciliation. So if Christ is the center of of all of creation and all of the universe, if he's the center of all of it, then the, then the cross is the central focus of all that relates to humanity. The cross is the central focus. And, I, and everything should be filtered through Christ's work on the cross. So the two things that he really grounds them in, in the, in the sufficiency of Christ, is from a 
cosmos aspect, all of the world and the universe and all of creation, that Christ is all sufficient. He's the center of all of that. And then for our lives and for humanity and redemption, Christ and the cross is center of all of that, which brings reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness and salvation. The next major theme and emphasis that we see here is the fact that believers are complete in Christ. So now that we have been reconciled, now that we have been filled with the life of Jesus Christ, Paul commends them here that you are complete in Him. And that's, and that, that's the amazing thing to me about the finished work of, of Christ. Jesus has done for us and given us what He has to give to us. And I often tell people, if you need more than what Jesus has already given you, then I can't help you. Maybe we're just not walking in and experiencing or even knowing all that we have in Him. For so many times, we still see ourselves as lacking. We still see separation between God and us. You know, a lot of times we still live in the concept that God is way up there, out there, and I'm way over here, down here. And we're trying to get God to to come to us, and we're trying to get our prayers up to God, and we're trying to get God to show up, not realizing that we have complete redemption and reconciliation, and Christ lives on the inside of us. That God is not way out there. He is right in here. And there's part of us that know that with our minds. But how many times do we live and pray and believe like us and God are a billion miles apart from each other? But no, when we understand that we have been made one with Him. If you remember in Colossians, He that is joined to the Lord is is one spirit with the Lord. And we begin to see that He gave us His Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth and to to fill us and to produce in us the fruits, the fruit of His Spirit and and the gifts of His Spirit on the inside of us. And again, we say things like, you know, well, God, send your Holy Spirit today. But He did that 2,000 years ago on the cross. You're not lacking that. It's here today. And the Bible says about that in Uh, that Peter writes that he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He's given his his word to to lead us and show us Christ and to reveal Christ to us. So if we need anything more than the Scriptures, if we need anything more than the Holy Spirit and everything that he's given us, if we need anything more than Christ himself that created and sustained everything, then I can't give it to you. Maybe somebody else can. And I think that's, in essence, what Paul is saying here. You are complete in Christ, who's the head over all things. So therefore, beware of anything says, well, you need this, or you need more of this, or you need this. Those things will lead us away. So believers are complete in Him. We share in His death and resurrection life. Another major emphasis that Christ has defeated the powers 
of this world on the cross, the powers. The, and we'll talk about some of those next week when we get into the text. But these forces, whether it be, and Paul uses the term, uh, you know, the elemental principles of the world. Most of the time when Paul uses that, he's speaking of the elemental principles that are pertaining to the law. He spoke that uh, in Galatians chapter 4. He deals a lot of time when, when we, speaking of the Jews, he said when we were in bondage, uh, to the elemental forces of this world that kept us in bondage. And then when Christ came, you know, that was taken away and we were brought into complete sonship and, and grown up into Him through uh, the work of Christ on the cross. But Christ has defeated the, the powers that come against us. And then the believers are called to put off the old life with its sinful practices and to put on the new life and to walk in the new life. And again, just like in Ephesians, uh, he shows us what that looks like. You know, in Ephesians, he said to put off the old man uh, and put on the new man. And then he said, here's how the new man lives. And he begins to list these imperatives. And he just wasn't giving us another external law. He was showing us this is what is produced when you are walking in your new nature in Christ. So as you read through uh, the letter to uh, the Colossians, look for these themes in the book. The major, the, the heart of the warning of this book, because we said there is an encouragement, but then there's a warning. The heart of the warning is what is called the uh, Colossian heresy, the Colossian heresy. And, you know, people for years have tried to pinpoint exactly what this is, exactly who were the people that were teaching this, where it came from. And it's hard to point to just one thing. What is the heresy that's being circulated throughout here in, in Colossae is kind of like a, a collection, a mixture of a lot of different uh, type of things. Um, and I, I want to I just go ahead and read some of that. I know we'll get into the details of it next week, but I, I want to give us just a, a point of reference. If you look with me, in your, if you have your scriptures, if you turn to Colossians chapter 2, So when you, when you go back over this paper and you're like, all right, let me read about the Colossian, you know, you can, Colossian heresy, you'll be familiar with it. So in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6. Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right, verse number 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by a philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, He's introducing this Colossian heresy, number one, that it's after something that is earthly, not after Christ. Um, and in verse number nine, it says, For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, if, let's go down to... Um, Verse 13, look in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he set aside, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame, triumphing over them. Therefore, he says in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, what you eat or what you drink, or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That, that's, that's the the. the you know, the, the beating of the flesh, the bringing it into submission. That's the harsh treatment of the flesh to try to get you into a, you know, a more uh, sanctified state. Or, or the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, not holding fast the head from whom the whole body is nourished together and joints and ligaments that grows uh, into, and with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts. And teachings. These things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So he lists a lot of things here in this passage of scripture. Uh, he talks about the empty philosophy and deceit that's built on human tradition not according to Christ. Uh, he goes on to talk about uh, the festivals, which would allude to the Jewish feasts and the new moons and the Sabbath days. That has a very Jewish influence to it. Uh, then he talks about uh, you know, the, the harsh treatment of the body. He talks about visions, you know, having visions and, and angels. And then he talks about human regulations. Don't touch, don't do this, don't do this as a form of holiness. So he lists a lot of different aspects of what we would call the Colossian heresy. So again, some of these that we would find here is tradition-based. Depends on human tradition. Uh, the underlying uh, part of the system is the elemental spiritual forces. Uh, it's not centered on Christ. There's food restrictions and Jewish holy days are involved, so there's a Jewish aspect. Uh, ascetic disciplines are encouraged. Angel worship is central. Visionary and mystic experiences are touted. Pride is a part of it. Uh, losing connection with Christ. Rule keeping is urged. You know, so there, there's a lot of different parts to exactly what this heresy is. You know, whether it's a form of, you know, Jewish mysticism, but whatever it is, and we can take these parts of it and, you know, look at the parts individually, but whatever it comprised of as a whole was leading people away from Christ. It was leading them out of their freedom that they have in Christ. It was leading them away from the work of Christ, 
by saying, you know, if, if you're a sinner, then, then you need to, you know, to beat your body and bring it into subjection. So, so you'll suffer the punishment for your own sins or, you know, where you're being judged because you didn't keep a, a, a Jewish festival or, or, or celebrating a, or a Sabbath or keeping the Sabbath rules on certain days. Or, you know, it's all about don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Things that have to do with the, you know, the, the external things, not the internal. So it's adding to them and bringing these believers who Christ set free back into bondage. So that's that's the danger of what is going on here with the uh, Colossian heresy, and that he's trying to, again, show that Jesus is enough. That it is all about the centrality of Christ in all of creation and in all of redemption. That Christ is enough. And the life I live is lived out of what Christ has done for me, keeping the cross central. Anything else is saying that the work of Christ wasn't enough. The work of Christ wasn't enough. So, the Colossian heresy, and we'll dig deeper more into what all of these mean next week when we go through it. Uh, the overview of Colossians, um, at the bottom of, of your paper there, the overview, although Paul had never personally been to Colossae, he knows much about the believers there and considers them one of his churches through his co-worker um, Epaphras. His primary concern is that they stand firm in what they've been taught. After a glowing thanksgiving and encouraging uh, prayer report, much of the first half of the letter reiterates the truth of the gospel that they have received. The rest of the two chapters expose the follies of the errors to which some are being attracted to. One may rightly guess, therefore, that the emphasis in Paul's recounting the gospel are also in response to those errors. At the heart of the errors is a desire to regulate the Christian life with rules about externals, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Uh, and Fee makes a note here that uh, this sounds much like certain forms of Christianity today, that it's rules-based instead of gospel-based. Uh, most of chapters 3 and 4 take up uh, the nature of genuinely uh, Christian behavior. Uh, rules and regulations have an appearance of wisdom, but have no real value. Christian behavior results from having died and been raised with Christ. That's where our life is, in Christ. Died with Him, raised with Him. And now being hidden with Christ in God, thus expressing itself in the image of the Creator Himself. Note especially the imperatives flow out of these realities. So again, when, and when you really go, when you look for this and read it, it makes sense that all the imperatives or commands that we would see or what Paul says how we should live, oftentimes is preceded by here's who you are. You know, you've died to the old life, you've risen with Christ, and because you've risen with Christ, here's the life that flows from that. Paul doesn't give just another law or another set of religious rules to follow or here's a good moral code, how you're supposed to live. All of the, all of the ethical, you know, all the ethical commands that Paul gives flow out of your identity now that you are in Christ. Uh, and many of these, as we saw with Ephesians, if you remember everything that Paul lists in the book of Ephesians, you know, uh, not lying, not, not stealing from uh, your neighbor, speaking truth to every man, that had to do 
really beyond just personal commands. It had to do with the sake of the body of believers. Like, this is how you live together in community. So I don't lie to you. I speak truth to you. I don't steal from you. Because all those things can break relationship and fellowship. And to Paul, the fellowship of the body is so crucially important, even to the preaching and the witness of the gospel. So, you know, he notes here that many of these are primarily directed toward community life, not just individual good things to do, even though individuals are responsible for living out these ideals. But it's for the sake of community. Um, So kind of the outline that we have here of Colossians, um, the outline that we have, we start with greeting, thanksgiving, and prayer with the first 14 verses of chapter 1. Uh, We talk about Christ's supremacy and reconciliation, another one of those majestic moments that Paul has. You know, we've seen it in other places that, you know, Paul can be discussing something and then it's like he just gets wrapped up in the majesty of God and writes this this beautiful little, you know, this beautiful piece here, this uh, a mini masterpiece in and of itself. Uh, of praise and of, of aweness of who God is. And, and this is one of those times that, that he does this, focusing on the supremacy and the, reconcili- and the reconciliation of Christ. Uh, then he goes on, as he does in a lot of uh, letters, we saw it in, in Philippians last week, that he begins to kind of talk about his role in the gospel and his sufferings for the gospel and the mystery that was revealed Uh, to him for the sake of the gospel, even in giving the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, Then the passage that we just looked at briefly, the dangerous teaching at Colossae, uh, or the Colossian heresy, we saw that in chapters 2, 6 through 23. Uh, And then in chapter 3, he begins this, uh, you know, practical outworking of that. In chapter 3, 1 through 17, uh, and the primary focus is Christ and the above life, the heavenly life that he has called us to live. Um, he goes back echoing Ephesians again uh, in chapters 3, 18 through 4, 1 on instructions uh, on Christian households and how we to, are to live out the gospel in those contexts. And then closes with some personal instructions, some greeting, and then a closing verse. So again, it's a short letter. It's, I don't want to say a simple letter, but it's, you know, not simple in, in some instances, but it's, Pretty easy to get through. Uh, And then a theological side and then a practical side as we see as just kind of evident of Paul's uh, handiwork. Uh, Under the section specific advice for reading Colossians, uh, if you have a book, there's four of these that's listed in the book. I just put two of them here for the sake of of space on our paper because I I like to keep everything on one sheet of paper. Um, So two here. And these two echo what we've talked about already. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know, to look at the false teaching. And, uh, you know, in your book, it makes the point that there are obvious Jewish elements toward this. So whether it's Jewish mysticism or, you know, some form of you know, Gnosticism, there is a heavy Jewish influence as well because it talks about uh, circumcision, talks about food laws, observance of religious calendars, not letting anyone judge you on those things. Uh, having the handwriting of ordinances uh, nailed to the cross. So he spends a lot of time in those things. Um, secondly, you see here, uh, you will not be able to miss Paul's primary emphasis of the supremacy 
of Christ over all things. Uh, Stars in chapter 1, verse 13. He says here, as the thanksgiving gives way to the exaltation of the Son and carries through, verse 22, he says it re, uh, recurs at every key point in the letter. He brings back up the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is enough in every critical point of the letter, never leaving Christ. So very important. Um, Paul urges that Christ is the key to everything they need. All that God is ever going to do in and for the world has happened in and through him. Uh, Paul also emphasizes the absolute supremacy of Christ over the powers, including Christ's role in creation and redemption. Christ is the whole package. So don't let go of him. He is the true head of this life that we are living. And that doesn't mean that God isn't you know, actively working today. But all that we need for this life he has provided for us again he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness it is it is all available on the inside of us now we can have everything but not know it and will lack we can have it available but yet our minds and our hearts are in other places and we're never relying on just like you know we have we have the peace of god right on the inside of us but if our minds are focused on our worries and our fears and everything else that peace of god is going to lie there and we're going to be controlled in our minds by by the things that we dwell on so that's why the scripture says you know let him be in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee we have a responsibility as well. We have all of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. There's not more that, that He's giving. He can't give us more of His Spirit. He can't give us more of Himself. We can give Him more of us. We can give Him more of our time. We can give Him more of our mind. We can give Him more of our heart. We can focus on Him more. We can receive more of His Word. But He has done for us everything and made it available. There's nothing that he's withholding, saying, well, when they're good enough, it's, it's all available to us. So it's the outworking of that in our lives that we see. And then I, I put this down here. This came from a commentary that I have. Because we can easily get wrapped up in a lot of other things other than Christ as the center of our faith. You know, whether it's chasing after, you know, signs and wonders and miracles or whether it's, you know, I want to have this experience with God or, you know, and I've, I, I mean, I've known people that were so spiritual you couldn't even carry on a normal conversation with them. And, and that's frustrating at times. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a perfect person by any means, but I spend a lot of time in the Word. I spend a lot of time in, in prayer. And I've been around some people, they make you feel like because you ain't floating in air and glowing in the dark and, and, you, and they never sleep because they're fasting and praying every moment. They're having visions and dreams and Abraham and Moses or drinking coffee with them in the mornings. And it, it makes you feel terrible. You're like, man, I must be a horrible person. And every, you know, and they're, they're, they're doing miracles all over the place. And, you know, I had, I had one guy... Tell me one time, he's like, every person I've ever prayed for has gotten healed. I was like, man, that's amazing. Every person, every, every person I've prayed for has gotten healed 100%. He said, they might not have manifested that healing right then. And I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> wait a minute now. Okay, so they didn't get physically well, but they, you know, and I'm just like, but to be able to say, well, every person I prayed for, and I was like, 
This doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but some people need that affirmation, I guess. Some people need to make you think that they're so close with God because they see visions and they've, you know, done all of these things. And, you know, while God can speak to us and manifest himself in different ways, and this is just me, and this comes from experience and being around a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of people in a whole lot of churches, you know, the people that God is always speaking to them, always giving them visions, always showing them all these new things, my guard automatically goes up. You know, it, it just does that for me. It just automatically goes up because I've heard people say things that I'm like, have you ever read a Bible before? <laughs> in fact, in fact, literally, you know, when I was probably, you know, 18 or 19 at the time and back in Goldsboro, we had, uh, we had the Christian Soldier bookstore in Goldsboro. And I was literally in the bookstore with another friend of mine, and we were looking at some books, and I literally heard a lady tell another lady, and I'm eavesdropping in on the conversation. And she literally says this. She says, I don't even own a Bible. I don't even own a Bible. She said, and I quote, the Holy Spirit comes down every morning and reads the scriptures to me at my table. I want to say, ma'am, can I buy you a Bible? You know? (laughs) And can I read it to you? You know, but she was so proud that she didn't own a Bible that the Holy Spirit showed her everything that she needed. And uh, so that's why I put this little section here because I read it in a commentary uh, that I have. And so I copied it. And it says, a word for Christians today. There should be a four in there. A word for Christians today. It says, Colossians is a letter. And again, let me just say, you know, I believe God can speak to us. I believe things that I've had supernatural experience. It's not an everyday occurrence. It's not an every week and every month occurrence. Uh, it, it may be for you or, or some people, and that's fine. But just read Colossians and prayerfully consider it. Here's what this says. Colossians is a letter written to people long ago, but also a letter that applies to Christians today. Colossians is particularly relevant as a response to the perennial t- temptation spiritual novelties, doctrines and practices that purport to bring special knowledge, special power, fulfillment, but in reality can lead people into spiritual bondage. And sad to say, I have seen people who were in very, quote, spiritual churches, where it was all about visions, dreams, prophecy, words from the Lord, signs and miracles, that's what it was all about. And I have seen people's lives ruined through an abuse of these things. Through an abuse of these things. Uh, Because somehow it stopped being about Christ. And it started being about all of these other spiritual experiences. Jesus says man should not live by bread alone. He didn't say man should live by every spiritual high and experience and revelation and vision and new teaching and practice that comes along. He says by every word from the Son of God. Every word. So, you know, doctrines and practices that purport a special knowledge, power, fulfillment, but in reality can lead people into spiritual bondage. Such pseudo-spirituality can appear uh, in forms of occultism, the teaching of self-appointed spiritual gurus, private revelations that draw people's focus away from the core of Christian faith into what is secondary. In the face of these grave dangers to faith, Paul powerfully exalts the all-sufficiency of Christ for the spiritually hungry. There is no need to go looking elsewhere. 
Jesus himself inaugurated all the new age elements we need, the fullness of wisdom, fulfillment, and life comes from entering more deeply into the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the more I've preached, the more I've taught, the more I've studied the word, the more grounded and solely focused I've become on Christ. Because he is the one that Colossians says holds all things together. And so I want to exalt Christ in everything, you know, and not let anything, even if it's any good thing or any spiritual thing, draw me away from the truth of the sufficiency of who Christ is. So all that will become a little more uh, clear as we get into the text uh, next week. But I encourage you, like every time, take these notes, uh, just kind of go through them, read Colossians this week. You can read it in just a few minutes. It won't take long at all. Uh, But kind of look for these themes, look for these warnings, and see if you can see how, you know, the reason that Paul was writing to this church at Colossians.